Igniting well is the pursuit of a lifetime. You may be at mile marker one of this wonderful life journey and thinking for the first time about embracing the life of a writer. Or maybe you're further along and ready to publish some of your ideas. I'm Melissa Parks with Dave Getz, and we are fellow travelers on this extended road trip to improve our writing and publish our ideas. We hope this podcast helps you make progress on your writing journey. Now, let's buckle up and write. If you're writing a book, I bet you have secret dreams of it becoming a bestseller. But do you know what it really means to be a best-selling author? The term has multiple definitions. And today, Vikrant Sharia, founder and CEO of Authors on Mission, is here to help us understand this complicated term. In this interview, Vikrant shares valuable insights about what it takes to become a best-selling author. First, he says, you have to have a well-written book, but then you have to persist with your marketing efforts. So settle in for practical tips on how to set up your book to become a bestseller. Welcome, Vikrant, to our podcast. We are so excited to have you here today discussing how to use your nonfiction book to really work your business and grow your business and your brand, and also just some great promotional strategies to get it out in the world so it's actually read. So can you tell us first a little bit about your book writing journey and how you founded bestsellingbook.com? We'd love to hear that. So it was kind of an accidental discovery. Like it was not my intention to start this company initially. My primary goal was to make some money. And I started writing books because when I was searching online how to make money online, one of the ways was to write and publish books. And this is, I think, 10 years ago. And I had no option. Like I had to pay my bills. So I started writing my books. Honestly speaking, I'm really, really bad with communication and specifically writing. I used to get the least amount of grades in English subject. English <laughs> is not my first language. But there was no excuse. Like I had to write and finish the book. In the journey, I discovered that my strength was to compile all the information that I gathered and when, while I'm doing the research and format it and write it in such a way that it makes it very easy for the end reader to understand exactly what, what, what I want to convey and to take actions. I wrote my first book and I, I think I wrote it in 21 days. It, it seems like a habit forming kind of a thing, 21 days. But yeah, like I really was able to make it in 21 days. My girlfriend back then was really good at academics. She did the proofreading thing. By the way, now she's my wife. So <laughs> I'm good. I was wondering what happened to her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, like I was able to complete the book and then publish the book. So yeah, this was my first book. And then I wrote another book. This was a very short 50 pages book. So I, I completed in in less than three days. And I started writing books after books. And I understood that although in, 
writing was not my strength, but still I discovered a system that house anyone, even if someone doesn't have any passion for writing, still can write it in such a way that it can be valuable for the reader. Then I started helping a few people because some of my friends started reaching out to me when I when I become became an author. Then I helped them for free. Then I added some coaching fees to other people. And then I discovered that a lot of people who were my students started reaching out to me saying that, hey, the system is good, but we really don't have the time or don't have the skill set to sit down and write the book. So we created this company. Initially, the company's name was bestsellingbook.com. Now we have rebranded. We are still in the process of rebranding. Now the company's name is Authors on a Mission. And we basically offer done-for-you book writing, publishing, and marketing services to um, entrepreneurs and thought leaders so that even if someone has no time or skill set to write a book, they can still become an author and can spread the awareness about the message they want to share with the world. Can you tell me a little bit about your first book and maybe another book that you're really proud of that did well in sales? And maybe also share a little bit about your expectations of sales with your first book and did the sales grow over time as you learned more about marketing? Can you tell us a little bit about that journey? So the first book, I I wrote it in under my pen name and I was not proud of that book. It was in the real estate industry. And why I'm saying I was not proud of it because I had no real hand experience in real estate but I did a lot of research and I compiled in kind of a actionable steps for the end reader. The book's title was 19 Days to Sell Your House. So even if you will just Google the name 19 Days to Sell Your House, you might find some Goodreads reviews that the books is really good. And now I have unpublished that book and the other books that were in real estate and under my pen names. But the first month, I think I made around $25 from that book. And you know, like exactly how it works, like from Amazon, you get the royalty after 60 days. Yeah. But yeah, I was able to see the metrics that the first month I made around 25 or $24 something. The second book that I published, I started focusing more on the marketing side. And I leveraged, like back then marketing was not this much complicated and this much tough than hmm. today. We leveraged Facebook groups and so many real estate Facebook groups. We And then we started posting about the books and got a lot of sales. The second month I made around $450 from both of these books. So this is, this is a huge jump. I don't remember the number of sales because it was not only the number of sales and they were also like, Kindle reads as well, right? So we were also getting royalties from that area as well. So, but yeah, like initially I was not thinking about exactly how much money I'm going to be making. It was all about like I had, I had to figure out how I'm going to be making money. And then I, when I discovered it, then I started writing more and more and more books. So yeah, like this is exactly how the journey of like discovering like this system works and then how to do the marketing and start making money out of it. So what was 
the biggest aha moment when it came to marketing? You said it's a journey learning about what yeah. works and wasn't doesn't work with publicity and marketing. What what for you really was the switch that turned it on or you thought, man, I was missing out on this in my previous book, but this is essential. As of now, specifically, I really, really believe that podcasts are the best way to promote your books in today's time. And I discovered it a few years ago, like four or five years ago. We did it, the launch of our client's book. And we started getting him in a lot of podcasts. And there were three or four podcasts, like which were very popular, which helped him get 70 to 80% of his sales and how we were tracking it. Like we were using specific link like website.com slash link. And we were adding some sort of tracking that how many people are clicking on that link and then how many people are going towards Amazon. So we were actually trying to find out exactly how many click-through rates we are getting through podcasts. Nowadays, like actually podcasts are really, really best ways to promote the book because usually hosts usually ask that questions about the book, about the author. And in the end, they ask that, hey, where people can find you and your book. So it's kind of a free publicity. And at the same time, it also helps you share your message and connect with the audience so that they can understand you a little bit in maybe half an hour, one hour, and then they want to invest in your book. How do you help authors get onto the significant podcast? Maybe how do you identify them? And then how do you make that pitch? So let me tell, share with you a few secrets that our team are using with your audience. So we use this platform called listennotes.com. Are you guys aware about it? I have, yeah. but I have, I'm not familiar with it. I have heard of it. So listennotes.com and they have a paid subscription. I think it, it is $199 per month or something. and what they do is, for example, if your book is about leadership, right? If you're going to hit search for leadership, you can find maybe tens of thousands of podcasts around leaderships. And then you can actually segregate those data means you can only maybe go for, so yeah, yeah you can see some of the metrics that is going to be helping us find out the relevant podcast, like top. 10% global, top 5% global, top 1% global. You can see those metrics over there. You can see the number of listeners, the number of podcasts that are already published. There's one more tool that we use called Rephonic, which is kind of a similar like listen notes, but has more functionalities, which also shows that how many listeners are listening to one episode, like are there are tens of thousands of listeners listening to one episode. So basically, when we start helping people get on podcast, we only aim for top 10% podcasts. So we don't go with any random podcast, which has just started yesterday. So, so just to make sure that we are not getting them on those podcasts that are having maybe two or three audience or two or three people like who are listening to the shows, we really want that one hour that author is investing in getting on the podcast to be maximized and which can help him get more and more awareness about the book, which can lead to more and more sales. So this is the metric that is really helping us define on listen notes. If you're going to go a search for 
you can see those metrics like top 10%. You can also see this LS score, which stands for listeners score or something. So the more the number of score is, it means that more and more people are listening to that episode and they're listening it for very, very long period of time. So yeah, these are the metrics we are actually evaluating before we helping we, we help them get on the podcast. Now, the second question that you asked is how exactly we pitch those podcasts. So basically, we once we find out those podcasts, like and we once we list out those podcasts, the best thing about Listen Note is they also provide the website details and the email addresses of those podcast hosts, right? And I think this is one of the way, like how my someone from my team reached out to you guys. And they listened to one of your recent episodes, not the entire episode, maybe five, 10 minutes of the episode, see if it is a fit for me or not, or the author or not. And then based on that, like we create a customized or personalized email. Not so long, but it should have two or three really, really key things. It should be there in the email. First of all, it should be personalized that, hey, just listen to your episode uh, with XYZ. And when you talked about this, 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 uh, it was really awesome. I think I have a guest for you which who can bring really great value to the table. And this is what he has achieved in the bullet form. And these are the potential uh, podcast topics you can have with him. And then again, you can have maybe five, six different podcast episodes potential podcast episode topics. And yeah, if you want to have him or if you want to see the one page sheet, let me know. So that's it. Like it's very, very simple. We send also follow-up emails as well if you think that it's a really fit. And it is really helping us get more than 60% open rates, more than 20% reply rates, and more than 5% people like who are eventually ready to book the book our authors on the show. Can you then just give us your definition of a best-selling book? You're talking about it a little bit here, but how do you define a best-selling book? It comes to the numbers. It comes to like exactly which list we are talking about. New York Times is kind of a, I should not say it, but yeah, it's kind of a political list. The editors on in New York Times, they pick the book based on the relationship with the publishers and all sort of thing. Also, of course, the the sales, it matters, but not matters a lot. You have to get maybe more than 15,000, 20,000 sales in a week. And you also have to get traditional publishing medias, like newspapers, podcasts, TVs, and all, all sort of thing. So we are still trying to figure out exactly how to crack that, but it's kind of a tough the second is Wall Street Journal. And a few years ago, they used to be US Today bestseller as well. But to get on these lists, you have to get around six to 7,000 sales within a week. And there are some methods like exactly how you can do it. How we do it is we leverage ebooks, deal sites. And for example, if the book is for $399, $499, the Kindle book, then we offer it for 99 cents. Like we make the book for 99 cents for a limited period of time. And then we list them on these different ebook deal sites. We have relationship with these 
ebook deal sites at the same time we also have some connections with influencers right in different industries different topics so for example if someone is writing a leadership book we have maybe 7 8 people like who have hundreds of thousands of followers and subscribers so cuz we pay them and then they promote our book or our clients books in their list and which is going to which helps them become wall street journal and actually get those number of sales like 6 to 7000 sales sometimes more depending on the category to hit wall street journal bestseller for amazon bestseller again as i mentioned it's not very difficult you just have to understand the algorithm it's an hourly based ranking sales ranking so it changes every hour you just have to figure out how many sales the number one book is getting so if you're writing a leadership book you just have to find out how many sales the number one book is making in a day there are some tools out there like you can find out through that like publisher rocket for example in the leadership category you have found out that the number one book is making 500 sales in a day your goal is just to make 501 sales in a day to hit the number one bestseller so that's how all of these different type of list works so when you're working with an influencer like you mentioned do you provide them the copy that you want them to use or do you want it to be authentic to the person who's promoting it like do you require them to read the entire book what how does that work because you can kind of smell an inauthentic mm. review or yeah. promotion yeah every influencer is actually different with our experience some influencers are just after money right they just charge a specific amount of dollar for a specific amount of posts but some people they are really really tough we also get rejected a lot of times by some of these influencers if they read the book and if they see that this doesn't align with their thought process and their vision or their a mentality then they simply reject the book or reject the 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 project no matter how much money we want to pay so it depends exactly actually on influencer to influencer some person some people they are legitimate however we provide copies to all of these people but i believe 50% of people don't read those books they just read a few pages of the book or maybe the intro or the conclusion that's it some people read thoroughly right and then based on that they decide whether they want to promote the book or not so i think we read that you help authors in 6 months or less become best selling authors and i'm wondering where where is the inflection point where you see sales really start to take off i'm sure it's different with every every book but is there a sense like there's a big kind of lift at the very beginning then it dies down a bit and then you have to reengage in another marketing campaign what does that look like like when does when do you see that inflection point when a book really gains momentum most of the sales actually comes in a first few weeks of this of the launch when we have the control of the book when we are promoting when we are marketing the book some authors they have really big followers follower base and then they also promote it thoroughly like maybe throughout the year they also get on podcast they also get on promote on social medias they also run ads like amazon ads 
So there are different type of traffic that actually comes to the book. Some actually come from Amazon ads, some comes from influencer marketing, some come from podcasts, some come from organic as well. Honestly speaking, like we really can't rely much on organic because of the competition, like the number of books that are in the market. So we have to leverage different platforms along with organic. Of course, you you have to use the right type of keywords and categories. And yeah, like it's getting tough and tough for people to get sales organically. So that's why like you have to find out ways. I've seen that like Amazon ads and BookBub ads are doing really good. Amazon ads actually takes some time to seed, like for the keywords to seed. So it takes maybe three weeks, four weeks, sometimes more. But BookBub ads, BookBub ads, like if you have used it, it's very fast. Like you start promoting it, you can start seeing results from tonight itself. So you have to use all type of different type of platform. Some of them are slow. Some of them are fast. So if someone is really serious about their authorship journey and someone is really, really concerned about that getting sales are really important to spread awareness, then they have to use all sort of things just to make sure that they start getting sales and the decrease on the, the sales graph doesn't happen. How do you manage expectations for authors when you take them on? And is there any instance where you say to yourself, I, I just can't take this person on because a, the quality of the book or the idea, or two, the overblown expectations. So how do you as an agency manage expectations of authors and then use that to help you determine who do you accept? Who do you say, you know, this is probably not a good fit, or maybe, maybe that's not an issue. I don't know. There are a few things that we actually see before we start, before we take a client. First of all, we only work with nonfiction authors. We simply reject fiction authors, like we just can't work with them. One of the reasons is like we don't have fiction writers and editors. Like in, in these eight, nine years, like we have built relationship with nonfiction writers and editors and proofreaders. So we can't commit for fiction writers. However, we have a few people in our connections, but we have the real expertise we have is in nonfiction. The second is like whenever there is a very tough qualification process like before someone can actually start working with us. There's no payment button on the on our website. Someone has to go to our website, first of all, fill out a form. And in the form, like we have, I think we ask more than 10, 12 questions. Like what's the book idea? Why do you want to write a book? What are your expectations? And all sort of things. How much investment do you have and all kind of thing. And based on that, we qualify or disqualify the application. And also like once they schedule the call, then we jump on a call with them and then we try to understand exact their idea in depth and their goal, their why, that exactly why they want to write a book, how much priority it is for them. And once you find out that this person is a fit, then we recommend them the packages if not, then we tell them that this is not a fit. So yeah, like we have a very, very tough qualification process for someone to work with us. What would be some of the things that disqualify a writer? 
again, first of all, if he is a fiction writer, like, of course, we can't help them. The second is, if someone who has a lot of different book ideas, who is not very much clear about the book idea, then we have seen that we really don't enjoy working with them because they're always confused whether they should work with book idea number one, book idea two, or book idea three. Or however, we try to help them that exactly, hey, which one is a priority book? But still, if they're still kind of confused, then of course, we tell them this is not a right fit. The third is, they are, if they are not certain about why they want to write a book, if it is just for their ego Again, we really can't help them out. Most of the people we work with, they do it for a certain reason. They want to use the book to get speaking gigs or get consultation clients or generate leads, do the personal branding. So most of the people actually falls under this. But if someone is not clear that why they want to write a book, someone just came to them and they, they said, hey, you should write a book. And then they schedule a call with us then it's not a right fit for us. Is there any sense that you expect them to do some of the work of promoting their book? Is there any, or do you take over all of that? Or how much do you expect the writer to do in the promotional phase? I would imagine you would have to, he, would have, he or she would have to do some. For the promotion, like we always recommend our clients, like we create a complete book marketing plan for them. And then we want them to execute that on their behalf as well, including the social media plan, including like if they have an email list, exactly how to leverage that as well. If they have any kind of a marketing budget and exactly how they can leverage that as well. So of course we do the marketing on our behalf, but at the same time we create the book marketing plan for them and we share it with them so that they can actually use it for them as well. Most of the time, we also help them with writing social media content for them, writing emails for them so that they can leverage that and start promoting it on their social media or their email list. How many writers drop the ball with that <laughs> part of the, the partnership? Actually, they are very, very, like, honestly, there are very few people like who are very serious about promoting the book on, on their channels. We share the plan with everyone. There are very few people, maybe out of 10, two or three people, they stick with the plan. They, they are very serious about the consistency and the deadlines and scheduling all the posts. Some people start doing it and maybe after a week or two weeks, and then they stop doing it. They start getting start busy. Uh, again, get engaged with their projects. Remember like the clients that we work with, they are busy. They are kind of already engaged with different type of projects for the businesses. So maybe that's the reason. But we also have got some clients like who delegate those tasks to their marketing plan, their social media team, who run the entire operation for them. So that really helps them uh, us out because we know that the authors that we work with, they are busy. If they have to do it on their own, then it, it, it could be very challenging. We often talk with writers, authors about publicity is this really, really long journey and you have to commit to it, not just for the first few weeks. So it's so interesting to hear you say that very few people actually are able to commit to it to the long term. So it confirms what our experience has been. But 
part of that long-term journey is getting in front of people. How do you view the book in the life of of a person's speaking presence, maybe book signings? Can you talk a little bit about that? How to use the books in those situations? After working with a lot of clients, like I realized that books nowadays, if you are an author, like people really see you differently. A few years ago, Brian Tracy said this, that if you want to establish your authority, then you have to become an author. Like in authority word itself, there's an author. Whenever someone wants to establish their brand or establish their authority, they should definitely write a book. No matter how many coaching programs or courses you have, or no matter how many services you have, but if you have a book, like people always refer your knowledge, your wisdom to that book. Like it's kind of a signature product for you. It has a name, your name on that. It has your message, the core message that you want to share with the people. It takes the reader from point A to point B on a journey who like people like who, for example, doesn't know anything. And then eventually they get to know something and then they can start taking action. So also in the speaking arena as well, first of all, it really helps you get speaking gigs. We have got some clients like who, how they use it is like, for example, we have got some two clients like who are in DEI space, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And how they leverage the book is they started like creating, they created the entire list of all the events organizing companies like who organize events around DEI. And then they start sending books, right? With a handwritten note with their phone number. And basically it really helped them get on a lot of different speaking gigs as well. One of our client made around $55,000 or something in a month when she used that strategy. And it cost her, I think, four or $5,000. So it was kind of a pure $50,000 profit using this sending book to event organizing companies as a strategy. So it really helps you get on paid speaking gigs. And at the same time, like once you have an audience, once you're a speaker, you can actually distribute the book to your audience completely for free. But at the same time, like you can plug in your high ticket offer in the back end of the book so that those listeners or those audience like can also, can also become your clients as well. So these are some of the strategies that our clients are doing to use the book to get on speaking gigs and then use the book to convert those speaking audience into high paying clients. What role in selling books does a really well-written book play? Is it 5% and 95% marketing? Is it 30% well-written book? And what I mean by well-written is that the ideas are communicated well. It's a fresh idea, right? It's structured well. It's actually readable. It's story-driven as opposed to car manual. And a lot of these leadership books are like that, right? You're just like, Lord, do we really need another book on leadership? So what role, 
what role does a well-written book with a fresh idea play out of 100% in the scheme of things in terms of sales? I see four pillars in the entire publishing journey. So the first is the product. The second is packaging. The third is publishing. The fourth is promotion. And over here, the product is the actual book. And I believe, and I've seen it personally as well with our clients and with seeing the outer world, that it's a kind of an other way around. It's 95% like how well written the book is. And then 5% is the marketing. Of course, you have to do the marketing. You have to really promote the book. But if, if you're thinking long-term and if you are really want to use the book in such a way that people recall you with the, with the book, then you have to write a really, really good book. And one example is, if you know, know this guy called Alex Armozi, who wrote this book called $100 million Offer a few years ago. And it became sensation on Amazon. Like it was crazy. Like I think it has more than 10,000 reviews now on Amazon. And now he's right. He has written another book called $100 million Lead. And he completed that book, I think, one and a half years ago. Like he started writing it two years ago and he completed it one and a half years ago. But he was still doing the editing and editing, editing, just to make sure that it becomes so, so easy for the end reader to understand and extremely valuable. He has done more than 100 times editing himself, not by an editor. So just to make sure that it, it's kind of a really great experience for the reader. And now he's launching it, I think, two weeks after two weeks. It's going to be huge. Like the book that is going to come, the the audience like who follows him like he they know that that the kind of book he produces so if you really create a great product if one person is going to find it like he's definitely going to recommend it to two other guys three other guys so nothing can replace word of mouth and that should be the goal of the the author today's author if you're competing with millions and millions of books out there. If, you have, if you're writing a really good book, then you don't have to fear because most of the books out there are crap. They are just written for the purpose of writing a book and then publishing it and then using it right away for the personal branding and all sort of thing. But if you really focus on creating a great, valuable book, then it becomes so much immense experience for the end reader and eventually it will also benefit you as well. That is such a wise note to end on. And I feel like we're simpatico, you know, we're, we agree 100% with what you're saying. So I'm glad that we have somebody who feels the same way. It's 95% about a great book, a great product, a great writing. So this has been such a wonderful episode, Vikrant. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about you? I'm usually active on LinkedIn. So if someone is going to Google Vikrant Shorya, I think the first link that comes is from LinkedIn. And if someone wants to see our work, then they can visit authorsonmission.com. We have rebranded from bestsellingbook.com to authorsonmission.com. And you can find tons of testimonials and case studies of people like who have gone through our services. If you think this is a fit, then you can book a call with us and we'll see if we can work together or not. 
Thank you so much. We really loved having you today. Thank you so much, Melissa. Thank you so much, David. Thank you, Alison. All right, Dave, let's turn to our words of the episode. I'll go first. My word this week is wabi-sabi, and it is a Japanese word referring to the appreciation of the beauty of imperfections, impermanence, and simplicity as the natural state of things in the world. So I first came across this word probably about maybe two to three years ago. I actually interviewed an author who wrote a decorating book on wabi-sabi style, and that was the first time I was introduced to it. But I resonate with it, of course, because my house is full of imperfection. And I think that just my personality has this nostalgic thing going for it that resonates with impermanence. So I like the word wabi-sabi, but it can be used in kind of a metaphorical sense. So autumnal colors best express wabi-sabi's celebration of nature. That speaks to the impermanence of it. Here's another one. And the home theater room flows out to the Wabi Sabi garden, which you can imagine like a stark kind of tech driven space, then spilling out into this kind of English cottage garden that has no structure. Right. So I like those two sentences <laughs> as ways to understand the word Wabi Sabi. And it is just a fun word to say. I've heard the word. I did not know what it meant, but it's interesting that it talks about imperfection, but also impermanence. So my question is, does that have to do with life, that life is impermanent? What's the connection with impermanence? Yeah, I think it does have to do with the the state of that's that's just life. Nothing stays the same. It has oh. to do with Eastern philosophy, I, I think. But I think it's used in decorating to, in wabi-sabi style decorating, to realize that you don't have to keep your house a certain way your entire life, right? Like you bring in something and something goes out or don't have to keep the four piece bedroom set, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's, it's better if, if it's kind of always in motion and reflective of who you are and the time of life that you're in. So that is my word. What, what's your word, Dave? Mine is so mundane. It's called pustule which is a small blister or pimple on the skin containing pus. I got the word, I think, out of one of my outdoor books that was talking about how it's used in biology, where it's a small raised spot or rounded swelling, like on a plant with some sort of infection on it or fungal infection. So, but pustule, it's a small blister or a pimple on the skin containing Pus. I know that's kind of gross, but I wrote it down every time I, when I read, I always write down everything that every word that I don't know or don't know exactly. Cause sometimes the context, right? You read a word or you re you're reading a sentence. There's a word you don't fully know. And you, the context kind of gives you the, the answer, but to know the actual nuance of the word. So. I think as we're, thinking of writing a good story with a, descriptions of characters. I can imagine a character being described as a person with a pustule spotted face or something like that. You know, yeah, you can, that's sure. like a oozing kind of pimple filled face. It's a different way to say it, I suppose. So, all right. Well, those are two great words. I can't wait to see what you come up with next time. All right. Well, this was another great episode. I think that that is a wrap for this week. I'm Melissa Parks. And I'm Dave Getz. Now buckle up and write.